don't know if you've ever gone to the doctor. Take that as a yes. You might hear this phrase from the doctor. Got good news and bad news. The good news is we know what you got. The bad news is getting over it's worse than what you got. You're going to have to go to physical therapy. If anybody's gone through PT, you know what that means. Is somebody is paid to inflict as much pain as possible on your person and tell you what's good for you. You know, what's funny about this is we often think this is the way the, the Christian life works and the way the Bible works. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is Jesus will save you from your sins. You get to go to heaven. The bad news is the Christian life is lousy and lame and boring. That's what we tend to think. We say, well, the good news, well, at least I get to go to heaven. Uh, the bad news is I have to live the Christian life. In the book of Ephesians, one of the points it's trying to make to us is the Christian life, finding hope in Christ and forgiveness of sins, is not good news, bad news. It's good news, good news. Good news, Christ saves sinners. And good news, he gives us a life that is intended for our flourishing, for our benefit, for our enjoyment. Just to remind you of how the book of Ephesians works, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is the, is the author telling us everything Christ has done for us by saving us. If you've forgotten what that is, you can go back and, back and read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. He tells us we have, are heirs of the kingdom of God, that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that Christ has given us a forgiveness of sins by faith through grace. And we, we receive this all from him. These are all the things that he has done for us, even while we were sinners. Trusting him, he does all these things for us. And then the second half of the book of Ephesians is him saying, since I have done these things for you, how do you think you ought to live? He says, having been found in Christ, here is how one in Christ worships God through a new life. And so in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and even the first half of Ephesians 6, the author tells us what it looks like to be in Christ and be a husband and a wife and in Christ and a child and in Christ and a member of the believing community, the church. So it's good news, good news. Now, here's the thing. You might ask, after reading what it means to live the Christian life, you might ask this question. It's a valid question. How in the world am I supposed to do that? That's impossible. And if you've ever looked at, even casually at the Bible and read what the Christian life asks for, and you say, that's impossible, guess what? You read right. So today, beginning in Ephesians 6, uh, chapter 10, we're going to not only talk about what Christ has done for us and how we ought to live in light of what Christ has done for us, but in fact, how do we have the power to live in light of what Christ has done for us? And the title of the message today is very, very complicated and difficult. It's one entire word. Ready? If you're into writing things down, this will be the easiest part of the message. The title of the message today is Stand. Stand. Let me read again. Jeff already read it once, but I'm going to read Verses 10 and 11. We're going to start with verses 10 and 11. This is what it says by way of reminder. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. You hear that? See where I got the word? Okay, good. Against the schemes of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So this first Part of this, I want us to uh, summarize it this way, stand in the strength of the Lord. How do we live the Christian life? How do we live uh, in the reality of what Christ has done for us? We stand in the strength of the Lord. Now think back to a, 
story in the Old Testament, one you're familiar with. It's called David and Goliath. Remember that story? It's in 1 Samuel 17. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read just a verse or two from 1 Samuel 17. You remember Goliath was a big fella? He was taunting the Israelites for 40 days, and David shows up, and he's kind of a scrawny kid. He hasn't found out about whey protein yet. GNC wasn't around then. When he saw his brothers, they did not ask, or they did ask, do you lift, bro? One, one or two of you guys get that, okay. So David says, I'll, I'll take him on. I'll take him on. Let's do this. I like the idea of not paying taxes. He goes to Saul, and Saul calls him in. And what does Saul recommend he do? Put on Saul's armor. And David puts it on, and this is what Saul clothes David with his own armor, and he put his helmet on his head, and he put on his coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to go because he wasn't used to them. And he said, I can't go in these. These are useless. Let me suggest this to you. Why is Saul's armor useless? Be primarily because they didn't fit David. The tailor messed it up? No. Why? Because God had forsaken Saul because Saul had forsaken the Lord. And David was not about to go into battle wearing the armaments of one who has forsaken the Lord. He says, I will stand before the giant in the Lord and not in Saul. If I were to stand before the giant in Saul, I'm a dead man. Instead, I would rather stand before the giant naked as the day I was born. That's essentially what he's doing because he's got no armor. He's got a sling. He says, I will not go in Saul's strength. This is what he says down in verse 45. David said this to the Philistine. You come to me with sword and you come to me with spear and you come to me with javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Who is better equipped? The one packing heat in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David stands in the power of the Lord by trusting in the Lord, and he has victory over the enemies of the Lord. Stand in the strength of the Lord, we're told to do, in Ephesians chapter 6. Much as David stood before Goliath, not in his own strength, not in his own equipping, but he stood before the enemies of the Lord in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, the Bible tells us in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Understand what he's saying. Another way of translating this would be this. Be strengthened by the strength of the Lord the power of his might. If you're going to go fight the bully, take your big brother, is what he's saying. Don't go fight like Jesus. What's he saying? Let Jesus do all the fighting. Be strengthened in the Lord. Be made strong in the Lord. Let's remember a couple of things about this God that is calling us to be made strong. Okay, Verse 18 of chapter 1. Have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, that is God. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us 
who believed according to the work of his might. So the Bible tells us we have been given by trusting Christ the power of God in Christ. How powerful is the power of God in Christ? I agree, that powerful. (laughs) Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How much power have you been given by Christ in the spirit in this moment? You have enough power in Christ to raise God himself from the dead. The power of God that has the power to raise God himself from the dead, the Bible says, is the power we have. And you want to go fight on your own? This is the working of his great strength in us. He gives us the power of Christ. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4.22. We've covered this before, but let's review it again. You have heard about Christ, and you were taught in Christ about the truth of Jesus. So do this, verse 22 of Ephesians 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and instead be renewed in your spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What's he telling us to do? Put on Christ in our Christian life. He says, live as one who is in Christ. Wear him as clothing, as it says in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. This is what Paul says there. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he's saying like a garment, put on Christ in his strength and his power and his righteousness. Stand in the strength of the Lord. So there's two things to this I want to mention. What he's saying here is trust the work that Christ has done for you. Has Christ made you righteous through faith? How righteous? As righteous as Christ is. That's pretty righteous. That's pretty pure. That's pretty holy. And now he's saying, now what are you going to do with that righteousness? Having been made righteous, he's saying, now live as one who is, it's not hard, it's not a trick question, righteous. Having been made perfect, now he is saying, walk as one who has been made perfect. David walked out in front of Goliath. And he knew he had the victory, didn't he? Have you noticed something about what faith looks like in action? Do you realize what he did? He didn't let the stone float up out of the stone bag. That's what it's called in Hebrew. I should say stone satchel. Okay. The stone didn't float up mysteriously and then shoot out. What did he have to do? He had to take it out of the stone bag. He had to choose five stones. He chose smooth ones because he knew those would go deeper into the dude's skull. Would fly truer. At some point, do you think he practiced slinging? Think this was his first rodeo with the slingy? No. But he knew the victory was the Lord. So even though he was practicing, he said, I am going to live as one who is victory, and so I am going to assert victory. Another verse we should look at. Look with me. Turn to this one, if you don't mind. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. I'm going to read them backwards. Because I can and you can't stop me. 
Verse 13 tells us this. This is what the Christian life looks like. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who does the work in you? One more time. Who does the work in you? God does the work in you for his good pleasure. Look what verse 12 says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's phrase it in David and Goliath terms. God says, David, sling the stone. Sling it like you've never slung before. And then when the stone hits true, what has David said? It is God who worked in me. So David is being obedient to walk in faith, and God is doing all the work. And the Bible simply says, God will do all of his work in you and through you, but it is still a call to walk as those in the Lord. Work out your salvation, and as God does his work in you, you will say, God has worked out my salvation. It is not a call to idleness. It is a call to engagement into what God is doing in us. And he says in Ephesians, stand in the strength of the Lord. Why in the world would we do that? Go back to Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. First of all, there is a real devil. He's not pretend. He's a bad hombre. He is powerful. He has one desire. It's very simple. It's not complicated. He wants to murder everybody. It's very simple. And there's not sort of a good aspect to the devil where he's just a conniving little teenager who gets into trouble. He wants everybody dead and consigned to hell with him. That's his desire. One motivation, one agenda. And it says he is scheming against those who are Christ that he might work out his destruction in, him, in them. The devil is very good at what we might call the long con. See, we worry so much that the devil is going to put something in our place. There's going to be a dollar bill on the ground, and we'll pick it up and keep it as our own. The stuff the devil's working at on your life is 20 years out, and you don't see it coming. Okay? The devil is scheming your destruction. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your Christian life. He wants to derail your life in Christ to the degree that he would be able to. And God is saying, to stand against this one, you need the strength of Christ in you. We need to get off of our Christian arrogance and say, absent the power of Christ, the devil will destroy me. You don't know enough Bible. You don't have enough verses memorized. You don't have enough faithfulness. You don't have it. The Bible doesn't say, trust in Christ when you've run out of steam, does it? Any degree, any ability you have had in your life to this point to resist the devil has, guess what, not been you. Because you do not have the power to resist the devil, if I'm reading this correctly, and I am. This is not a red, a birth, a red a what, jammies with little horns and a pitchfork. Oh, that it was just that. If, you, if the devil walked in here today, most of us would worship him. You're arguing with me in your head. I can tell I would not. End of book of Revelation. You can look it up on your own. John has been spending the entire book of Revelation with Jesus. This is like two chapters from the end of the book. 
He's talking with an angel, and what does he do? Have you ever noticed this? He falls down to worship the angel. And what does the angel say to him? Dude. He doesn't say dude. What are you doing? I'm an angel. Knock it off. Okay, so here's John, and this isn't a young dude. He's like 90-something. And I know you guys are young at heart, so I'm not insulting the 90-year-olds. This guy's been walking with the Lord for 60 years. And three of those years were actually walking with the Lord. And now he's having a vision of the risen Lord in heaven itself, and he worships an angel. So you want to tell me that if Satan walked into our little church, you wouldn't fall down and worship him? You can take that up with John when you get to heaven. He is scheming and left to our own devices. We will buy it, hook, line, and sinker, every time. It is actually humility in our weaknesses where we find strength in Christ alone. And he is saying, put on the whole armor of God. Walk in Christ, in Christ's way, or you will be dead. The devil will scheme, and he will bring you temptations, great desires, great pleasures, which you would quickly abandon Christ to enjoy, or he will bring you great pain, in which you will do anything to get out of it. Remember our friend Job? Job was married, a couple of kids, pretty good-sized 401K. All of his friends invested with Bernie Madoff, and he didn't. This guy was rich on rich. And the devil went before God, and God said to the devil, this is Job 1 and 2, if you want to look it up. God says, what you been doing? Which I always think it's funny when God asks questions he knows the answers to. The devil says, I've been walking around. And God says, Check out Job. Guy's got his act together. And the devil goes, well, of course he does, because you do everything he wants. What is that called when the devil says that? An accusation, because that's all the devil does. And God says, fine, take everything. Take his kids. Take his money. Take his health. He lost all of his kids. He lost all of his money. He lost his homes, and then he got great sores all over his body. Can the devil give you illnesses? Yes, he can. Can the devil take all your money? Yes, he can. Can the devil take the people you love? Yes, he can. And does he want to? Yes, he does. The only reason he doesn't is to the degree that God withholds him. Through all of that pain, through all of that agony, Job worshiped the Lord. He said, listen, God can take what he wants. It's his stuff. It's not my stuff. This is what the devil does, and this is how he works in order to destroy us. And he is saying, if you want to stand against an enemy who is much greater than you, you must stand not in your own strength, but in the work of Christ himself. We have to put on Christ in faith, and we have to walk in Christ in obedience in faith. James says it this way in James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why would the devil flee from him, from us? Because we're so resisting? No, he flees from us because we are in Christ, submitting to God. In Christ, the devil must flee. That means we trust that God is powerful and we act in it by resisting the temptations and the pull of the devil. The temptations of the devil, which is to pursue our own pleasures, and the temptation of the devil, which is 
bad things are happening in my life, so God must be a big bully. These are the primary ways in which the devil seeks to destroy us. Intentional trust, being strengthened by God, and intentional obedience, walking in the Lord. This is the way we stand in the strength of the Lord, trusting the Lord. Is God good? Yes, he is. Does God empower us? Yes, he does. Do I really trust him? Then I will live his ways that I might be able to stand against the devil. Stand in the strength of the Lord. Okay, are, did you leave Ephesians 6? Go back to Ephesians 6 if you aren't there in your Bible. We're going to look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I should say verse 12. That was my first mistake of the day. So if, for those of you who are keeping score. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand in the strength of the Lord. Why does it matter in standing in the strength of the Lord? Because your enemy is invisible, he is not seen, and he is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So this next verse, verse 12, stand against your enemy. It's a command here. Stand against your enemy. Not only do we stand in the strength of the Lord, he says we stand against our enemy. It's a famous baseball player. His name is Ricky Henderson. I thought that would get the Oakland A's fans going at least. I mean, leading base stealer of all time. Does that sound right? 1,400 steals. How many does number two have? Anybody know? Any guesses? Not even 1,000. 300 base stolen seasons. Am I close, Carrie? Okay. She's going to Google it. This is what Ricky Henderson said about baseball. If my uniform doesn't get dirty, I haven't done anything in a baseball game. He said, my job is to get dirty. Get on base, get dirty. Of course, he would slide headfirst into second base or headfirst back into first base. And all the coaches nowadays tell the kids not to do that, but Ricky Henderson did it, did it pretty well. If my uniform doesn't get dirty, I haven't done anything in a baseball game. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, I have to admit this. The main point of this verse is who we wrestle against. That's the main point of the verse. But we must not miss the secondary point at the beginning. We wrestle. He says we wrestle. It is an error for us to think as Christians that the Christian life is a pursuit of peace and happiness and comfort. The Christian life is somehow a pursuit of peace and happiness and comfort and avoiding conflict at all costs. Well, let's put it this way. The Christian life is peace in Christ despite the discomfort. It is happiness in Christ in spite of the difficulty. It is joy in Christ even though we wrestle. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so the assumption is we're getting our uniform dirty. But so many Christians nowadays assume that the goal of the Christian life is to stay as clean as possible, avoid all the encumbrances that come. Just My, my job is to stay peaceful and happy and have sparkling white teeth until the day I die. 
He says, no, we got to be in the stand against your enemy. Wrestle against the enemy. Who is this enemy? Look what it says. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, authority, cosmic powers, this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our adversary, the devil and the fallen angels, we sometimes call them demons, are spiritual, unseen, and their goal is to destroy us, and they are bent on evil at all times. Our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy is not our spouse. Your enemy is not your coworker. Your enemy is not your sibling. Your enemy is not the secular, irreligious culture. Your enemy is not the sinners around you who live their life in ways that you don't approve of. Your enemy are not liberals. Now he's meddling. Your enemy is not conservatives. Your enemy is the devil. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to do whatever it takes to get your eyes off the actual enemy that he might in time destroy you. So he gets us fighting with one another in the church and one another in our homes and fighting these silly battles that have nothing to do with anything while the devil works his schemes to make sure our eye is off the ball. We wrestle with just about anybody except the one who is seeking to destroy us. Stand against your enemy, the devil. Stand against your enemy who seeks to draw you into sin. Stand against your enemy who seeks to draw you away from Christ. And stand firm in the power of Christ. One famous general said this, war is hell. Our battle is a war for those who are going to be consigned one day to hell and they have nothing to lose. They're backed into a corner by the power of Christ. They have nothing to lose. It's a caged animal set free, and we want to avoid that fight, don't we? We just want to live a life and not ruffle any feathers. And the Bible says, stand in the power of Christ. We wrestle against the enemy. Might make you think of a guy named Desmond Doss. He was featured in Hacksaw Ridge. You seen this film? You're afraid if you can, you could admit to it here. I've seen it. Got a good movie. Yeah, it's cool. Desmond Doss, real dude. He's a pacifist. And, uh, but anyway, uh, his uh, um, group of soldiers, obviously I wasn't in the military, otherwise I'd know some fancy military term. They, got, they were getting beat up pretty bad up on top of this uh, Hacksaw Ridge, what they called Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you know the story, but they were, getting, they were wounded, and they had evacuated, and as a pacifist, he had no weapon. And he, would go, and he was going into enemy territory and grabbing the wounded and dragging them back uh, to the uh, escarpment area, and they were being lowering them down with this rope. And they estimate he saved around 75 guys uh, through the course of uh, the night or a day or two um, unarmed, being shot at and lowering guys down the hill. They weren't totally sure how many guys he saved. He sort of lost count in the running back and forth and getting shot at bit. 
So he came back, and his commanding officer said, I think you saved about 100 guys. And Desmond said, I think it was about 50. So they agreed to call it 75. This was his prayer. After dragged each one back, it's a line in the movie, it's fantastic. Lord, help me just get one more. Aren't those guys grateful that he wasn't afraid of getting his uniform dirty? He wasn't afraid of getting in the game. He wasn't afraid of confronting the enemy, leaving the Lord to do what he will. Was Desmond seeking peace? Was he just simply seeking security? Just keeping the waters calm in his life? No. He said he knew the calling of God in his life and he was going to get it done. He said, I'm a war. When you're at war, you get bloody and you get dirty. Stand against our enemy. I guarantee you, if you get in the game, your uniform will get dirty. To stand and wrestle against the powers of this present darkness is to assume that we're going to engage in a battle and it's going to get messy and it's going to get dirty. Stand against our enemy, who is the devil. Verse 13, read it with me if you don't mind. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand Firm. There it is again. What do we want to do? We want to stand firm. So we stand in the strength of the Lord. We stand against our enemy. And finally, we stand in the face of evil. I might mention this, and this way, for those of you who want to punch out, you can. If you want a Christian life of peace, ease, and leisure, the rest of this sermon will not apply to you. You can pull up your phone and play Candy Crush or something. This was an advertisement. It's attributed to Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton made a run at the South Pole in the early 20th century. I think they made a film about it, fantastic book about it. This advertisement for recruiting uh, men to go with him to the South Pole, uh, it's maybe legendary, but nonetheless, it's awesome. This is what he wrote in his advertisement to join him on his journey to the South Pole in the early 1900s. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return is doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. The legend has it that he had so many people apply to go on his journey, he commented, It seems like every man in Great Britain wants to go to the South Pole. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, listen, in the evil day. A day is coming, and you will describe that day, whatever that day is, and you will say, this is an evil day. It may be that final day when when the Lord returns and we can finally say there is great victory and we see the unwinding of human history, or it may be a day between now and then when your world explodes. And you will say there is only one way to describe this day. Today is an evil day. And if we want to stand in that day, a day that is coming, that is certain, in that evil day, he is going to say to us, we must take up Christ. That in the absence of Christ in our lives, the wearing of who Christ is on our person, we won't stand in that day. 
The goal we have between this day and that evil day is that by that time that day comes up, we're ready to say, okay, I, I, I trust Christ. I have finally given up trusting even in myself. To stand in that tempest, we must wear Christ, the armor of God. That is like, like David was going to put on Saul's armor. He said, I don't want it. And instead, what he's saying is put on the king's armor. We're going to get into it in detail next week. But here's what it looks like as we wear the armor of Christ. And we read this in Galatians 5.22. It's a familiar passage, so you don't have to turn there. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit, that is, the results of one wearing Christ. The fruit of the Spirit in our life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Bible calls us to wear Christ, and in wearing Christ, by faith, to walk as Christ. The Bible calls us to be patient because life generates in us impatience. The Bible calls us to be kind because the world around us is unkind. The Bible calls us to self-control because the message of the entire culture is do whatever you want. And so he's saying, I want you to wear Christ in obedience Walk as Christ, and Christ will faithfully work out in you his salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness, how righteous am I? As righteous as Christ. So how then should I live as one as righteous as Christ? In obedience, by faith, saying, you know what, I want to live righteously. I want to live with purity and holiness. Anybody in here ever sinned? If it's just me, it's going to be really awkward. You say, well, how does that work? You say, wait, I got this breastplate on. And Christ, I thank you that I can't sin myself out of this. I can't sin myself out of your righteousness. But Lord, I want to worship you with my whole life. Give me victory over this sin. Give me the ability to overcome. He's saying, understand who we are in Christ, and then by as worship, live as ones in Christ. Wear the, the breastplate of righteousness. Wear the helmet of salvation. What can kill you if you're saved? Nothing. You realize you will never die. You say, well, I've been to a funeral or two. It's rightly said, a few funerals I've gone to, he said, this person is not dead. They are now finally alive. He says, carry the sword, which is the word of God. Believe, act, stand. Stand in the face of evil. A couple of ways to think about this, and you're really going to be annoyed with me after this if you're not already. Not that it was my goal. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Well, it was a little. Um, Stand in the face of evil. Standing in the face of evil is really mundane. It's not really sexy. Nobody's going to write a news article for you. Are you ready? Read your Bible. Just read your Bible. God decided of all the ways he could have made himself known. He sent us the Bible. If you want to know God, read your Bible. 
Sometimes you might say this. Where's God? He told you where he is. Read all about it. I know what you're saying. And it's okay to say it out loud. I say the same thing. You ready? I mean, the Bible is boring. Do you realize there's things in there that are dull and uninteresting? There's an entire chapter on what to do about mildew in your bathroom. And the fix is weird. You tear the wall out. And if it's bad enough, you burn the house down. Anybody know what's going on there? We're not going to get into it. Reading the Bible is boring. Okay, we need to all own this. Are we ready? Are we ready to do the little... Who thinks the Bible, sometimes reading it, I'll just say sometimes, sometimes reading the Bible is boring. I mean, the rest of you, you're going to live in your hypocrisy. That's fine. <laughs> of course it's boring. The enemy is against you. Well, you think when you walk out to do your devotions, the Bible is going to float off the shelf in the, and with gold stars flying off of it and open up to the one passage, the most compelling passage that could possibly change your life. No, the enemy is, do you think he wants you to sit down and read your Bible? No, all the, de- oh, it's so dull and you're going to open it. Oh, this passage, this is terrible. How can you possibly, re- why does the Bible have so many genealogies? If it's going to have a genealogy, at least have names I can pronounce. <laughs> of course reading the Bible is boring. The enemy is against you. Of course prayer is dull and uninteresting. The enemy has somehow convinced you it's dull and uninteresting. A praying people... A Bible people are unstoppable people because Christ is unstoppable. So the scheme of the enemy has been for many years to get people out of their Bibles and get people off of their knees. I haven't started yet. You ready? Last one. Of course, course, of course, I don't even know what that is. Do we have an interpreter? Of course, church is dull and boring. Where else do you come and listen to a guy yammer on for 45 minutes? Anywhere? Literally nowhere in your life. But the Bible says preach the word. That's what it says to do. So what are we going to do different? Are we going to do something different? No, thank you. Of course you come down and you have that one interaction and it's weird. Anybody ever come to church and have a conversation and go, that was weird? Is it just me? I'm probably, it's, when you're talking to me, that's why it's. <laughs> of course it is. Do you believe what he said? The enemy is against us. So many other better places to be than with the people of God. Hearing the word of God. Seeking God in prayer and worship. Parents know what this is all about. You may not believe in spiritual warfare, but a family driving to church knows spiritual warfare. <laughs> I tell you what, dry, uh, you know, and I get to church early, so I don't experience it all, all the time. It is, it, I'm, and I'm not even joking. Stand in the face of evil. Read our Bibles. Pray. Be committed to the body of believers. 
If you want a life of religious ease, a life of religious comfort, a life of peace and prosperity with a Jesus stamp on it, don't, whatever you do, do not follow Jesus. He said, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to wrestle in the power of Christ against powers that are far much bigger than we will ever imagine, if you want to get your uniform dirty and get covered in blood, sweat, and tears with the people of God, he says, I've got something for you. Stand in the face of evil. If you want to stand in the storm with the power of Christ, you will get dirty. You will, in fact, have to carry a cross.